I can't wait, you can't wait, and she can't wait either. <laughs> so let's put us together to welcome Caroline. <laughs> Thank you. I if you're, if you're a speaker, you'll know this feeling, but when I've got a word that I need to share, I feel like I'm carrying a saucer of milk around, trying not to spill it, and just desperate to deliver it but, uh, so that I don't spill it before the right time. So, uh, yeah, so this second session, we're going to look at release. And uh, in the first session, we looked at, I told you a bit about my story and uh, thought a bit about how God can bring transformation in our lives. And today, in this session, we're going to look at uh, some of the hindrances that can prevent our transformation and uh, you know, God might speak to you through some of this today. So uh, as the basis for this session, uh, Alison is going to read for us, uh, it's a very well-known story, if you've got your Bible you may want to follow it, from John chapter 4. So in this session we're going to read the first part of the story and in the next session we'll read the second part of the story. So John 4, 4 to 26, thank you. <coughs> Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. <coughs> Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have been given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you have is not now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a 
A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. <coughs> when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Thanks be to God for his word. Thank you. Some of you may know that story really well. It's a very well-known passage of the Bible. And it's a wonderful example of somebody who had a lot of hindrances preventing her from opening up to Jesus, but also a great demonstration of how Jesus can transform a life and use the most unlikely people for his purposes. It's a well-known story, but we don't even know the woman's name in this story. She's always just known as the Samaritan woman. And we meet her as she's collecting water from a well alone in the heat of the day. And why is she doing this strenuous job in the middle of the day when it's so hot? It could be because she's wanting to avoid running into the other women who would probably have come in the early morning or the late evening when it was cooler. She's perhaps a bit of an outcast because of her past life. It must be very difficult for her and that's why in verse 15 she asked Jesus to give her the living water so that she never has to come to the well again. And Jesus speaks to her with a word of knowledge, demonstrating that he knows that she's had five husbands and is currently living with a man who's not her husband. The fact that she's had five husbands often means that this woman is portrayed as a bit of a loose woman. But this was a time and a culture when husbands could divorce their wives for any trivial matter. In Deuteronomy 24, men are given permission to send their wives away if they're displeasing to him. And so it was easy for a man to reject his wife, even for something as trivial as burning his dinner. And this suggests that she has experienced a lot of rejection in her life by many men and could explain why she puts up so many barriers to stop Jesus getting too close to her. She would understandably have been afraid of getting hurt or abused or used again. She couldn't see the possibilities. She could just see the barriers. She wanted to keep her life hidden, to keep Jesus out. For all she knew, he was just another man who was going to just use her and abuse her and then reject her. So we're just going to look briefly at some of the barriers that this Samaritan woman put up to keep Jesus at bay. Uh, and then think about some of the barriers that maybe we put up in our lives to prevent God's transforming work in our lives. When the woman first encounters Jesus and he asks her for a drink, the first objection that she offers is to do with her race and her gender. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The feud between Jews and Samaritans had been going on for hundreds of years. And for Jews, everything about Samaritans was unclean. 
Most Jews would gladly double the length of their journey to stop them having to go through the region of Samaria. And as a woman, she lived in a society that largely discriminated against her. Women were excluded from participation in synagogue worship, restricted to a spectator role, and forbidden to enter the temple beyond the court of the women. A woman was not to touch the scriptures, lest she defile them. A man was not to talk to a woman, uh, not very much, even to his wife in public. Uh, and for a man to talk to a woman that he didn't know in public was very restricted. So for this Samaritan woman, it was clearly a bit of a shock to her that Jesus would even speak to her, let alone ask her for a drink, because it would mean that he would have to use the same utensils as her. But Jesus didn't abide by the norms of his culture. He measured men and women by the same standards, the inequalities of character, not by accidents of birth, such as ethnic or sexual differences. He always affirmed women in his ministry by his manner and his example and his teaching. And he responds to this woman by speaking of the living water that he offers. But the woman seems to come up with more objections. She says, you have no rope or bucket, and the well is deep, so how can you get this living water? And we don't know whether she misunderstood his meaning or whether she was deliberately challenging him. But it seems that she was fearful of being known. She keeps changing the subject in order to avoid Jesus getting close to her. But she got more than she bargained for, didn't she, on that chance meeting by the well with Jesus. Jesus hadn't come to condemn people's outward lives, but to bring transformation to their inner beings, which would then impact their outward lives. Jesus broke down the barriers to reach her, and he treated her with respect. He exposed her vulnerability. He doesn't want to skim the surface, but he wants to go deep to transform her life. He didn't care that she was a Samaritan or looked down on her because she was a woman or because of her relationship history. He saw what she was really like, and he cared for her, and he stayed and he wanted her to be free. She must have worried that once he knew the truth about her, he would stop being kind and become angry and condemn her, that he would think she was worthless and walk away. But Jesus continues to treat her with kindness and respect. He respected her honesty, and he loved her anyway. Maybe you relate to the woman in that story, in some way, as you put up your barriers to Jesus this morning. So what are some of the barriers that prevent God's transforming power in our lives, that prevent him from bringing healing and release into our lives, freedom into our lives? And there are many possibilities that we could have looked at this morning. We're just going to look at a few of them. Uh, And uh, God may lay on your heart other barriers that you may have put up to stopping God working in your life. The first one that I want to mention is fear, which we've already mentioned today. (coughs) And I'll put this first because there seems to be a lot of fear around, especially since the COVID pandemic. Uh, But also with all the sort of upheaval in the world and the potential issues 
uh, especially around the war in Ukraine at the moment, there seems to be a lot of fear uh, in people's hearts. But even aside from world issues, there seems to be a lot of fear and anxiety that people carry with them. We all get afraid at times, don't we? Uh, there's a story about a family who were on holiday in a remote cottage in Wales and there was no electricity or water or, and gas only from a camping stove. And at bedtime, the young daughter of the family was extremely brave about going upstairs with her mother by the light of a candle. But she became fearful when a sudden draught blew the candle out and they were plunged into darkness. And the mother said to her daughter, I'm going to go back downstairs uh, to get the matches, but you don't need to be afraid. You just wait here uh, and you know that Jesus is with you. And the daughter said, well, couldn't you stay here and we'll send Jesus down for the matches? <laughs> Sometimes fear can be a good thing. In its most basic form, fear is a useful emotion because it can warn us of danger and enable us to be on the alert to, to flee or to fight. But somehow this emotion gets out of control, doesn't it? And often we get fearful of things that are not going to endanger our lives uh, and fear can completely take over our life and, and debilitate us. It can cause people to have panic attacks or lead to depression and prevent them from leading a normal life. Anxiety is often linked with fear because often when we churn things over in our minds, uh, things can become out of perspective. Sometimes we might be fearful of something that is factual, that we know is going to happen, maybe an operation that's coming up or something that we're going to go through in our life. But anxiety often comes when we don't know what's going to happen uh, and when we begin to imagine all sorts of things that might happen and that can cause a lot of stress in our lives. Some fears in our lives are rational, so we may have a legitimate fear of dogs if we've been bitten by a dog when we were a child. <coughs> But we might have irrational fears. I'm scared of spiders, and I don't know why I'm scared of spiders. Uh, I can't think of any reason why I should be, but I just don't like them. Uh, and all of us have some fears that perhaps are a bit irrational. Woody Allen was famously quoted as saying, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> <coughs> some of us may be more prone to anxiety and fear than others. Some people are really laid back and don't worry about anything, uh, and others seem quite highly strung and prone to worry. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I grew up with that atmosphere of fear, and I grew up uh, being frightened of everything. Uh, in years gone by, when I was younger, I would have been frightened by lots of things that I heard on the news. Uh, I was frightened of people's opinions of me. I was frightened of being rejected. I was frightened of death. I was frightened of failing. I was frightened of everything. And those fears came out of my early experiences in life, but they were like chains around me, preventing me from living a full life. And as I said earlier, God has gradually been loosening those chains over me. And as I found my worth in him and discovered how much he loves me, uh, he set me free from some of those things that used to cause me to be fearful and kept me captive. And I'm still a bit of a worrier, and God's still got a, a, a lot of work for me to do, but even the fact that I'm here, as I say, standing here to you, talking to you today is testimony to how God has worked in my life. And if fear and anxiety 
are preventing you from growing in your relationship with God or affecting your life and relationships, God can bring you freedom. The Bible says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And as I said in, earlier on, that verse from 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. God loves you and wants to help you to overcome your fears and anxieties as you turn to him and seek his help. <coughs> Another thing that can stop God's work in our lives is regret. Regret over past mistakes and failures. All of us make mistakes, don't we, in our lives. I can't even begin to tell you some of the stupid mistakes that I've made in my life. But there's a story about a, a very harassed mother whose small son ripped his trousers while playing in the garden. And she told the boy off and told him to go inside and to start mending his trousers at once. And sometime later, she went in to see how he was getting on and she saw the torn trousers lying on a chair and the door to the cellar, which was normally closed, was wide open. And she called down the stairs very loudly and sternly, are you running around down there with no trousers on? And a very deep voice came up from the cellar saying, no, madam, I'm just reading your meter. <laughs> we all make mistakes, don't we? But sometimes we live with regret over things that we may have done in the past. And sometimes we live with regret, wishing that we'd made different choices in our lives. Sadly, people often don't realise the mistakes they make until it's too late. Most of us don't intentionally set out to hurt someone else or to ruin our own lives, but sometimes we can do that unintentionally, and it can leave us with unresolved guilt and shame and regret. Someone may regret the career path they chose. Someone may regret taking what seemed like an innocent flirtation into a full-blown affair and breaking up their marriage. Someone may regret spending too much and getting into debt. Someone may regret not living a healthy lifestyle. Someone may regret, not sp regret spreading gossip that perhaps ruins someone's reputation. Someone may regret having an abortion or losing their virginity to someone who didn't love them. Someone may regret not spending enough time with someone that they loved before they died or not telling someone that they loved them. And the guilt and the shame that we sometimes feel over things that we've done in the past can be like carrying around a big sack full of rocks and it's heavy to carry and it drags us down and it can consume our lives. And it can become a barrier to receiving God's healing and release and freedom in our lives. We can't go back and change what's happened in the past. But with God, there is always the chance of a new beginning, a chance to break the power of the guilt and the shame that we may feel over things that have happened in our past. And that's why the message of the gospel, the Christian gospel, is so, such good news. Because with Jesus, there is always the chance of a new beginning. We don't have to carry the burden of guilt or shame from the past anymore. We can give it to Jesus and he can take it from us. Romans 8.1 assures us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we allow him to, God can take the weight of that guilt and that, re re uh, 
regret and that shame and he can take that away from us and take that burden from our shoulders. <coughs> the third thing that can be a barrier preventing God's work is unforgiveness. There's a story of a preacher whose Sunday sermon was forgive your enemies and uh, the preacher asked how many here have forgiven your enemies and about half the congregation held up their hands and uh, he was not very pleased with this response, so he asked a bit more sternly, how many of you here have forgiven your enemies? And this time about 80% of the congregation put their hand up. And then he asked the question a third time, even more sternly, and said, how many have forgiven their enemies? And everybody put their hand up, apart from one little old lady. And the preacher said, Mrs. Jones, are you not prepared to forgive your enemies? And she said, I don't have any enemies. And he said, well, that's very unusual. How old are you? And she said, I'm 93. And he said, Mrs. Jones, can you come down the front and tell everybody here how you got to the age of 93 and you haven't got a single enemy in the world? And the little lady tottered down to the front and she said, well, it's easy. I just outlived them all. <laughs> now, many of us have been hurt by people, either recently or in the past, even maybe far as, back, as far back as your childhood. And you may have been holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness towards someone for many years. And unforgiveness can be a real hindrance to God's transforming power in our lives. Some people hold on to unforgiveness because they feel they want to punish the person who hurt them. They feel they'd be letting the person off the hook if they forgave too easily. But when we hold on to unforgiveness, the person who's being punished is us. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, you are the person who is being held back by it and prevented from moving on with your life. I've known many people who are eat, eaten up with bitterness or unforgiveness over something someone has done to them in the past that they've been unable to forgive. But the person who did the thing has just carried on with their life and they, they, you know, they, they don't know or don't care or may not even be alive anymore. And sometimes that unforgiveness can manifest itself in our personalities. It can make us cranky or cynical or aggressive or judgmental or critical of others or sometimes it can manifest through illness or depression. But once someone truly forgives another person, they find that paradoxically, they're no longer tormented and can find freedom. Luce Smedy said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And it's not always easy to forgive someone, especially if they've done something devastating to hurt you. And it can be a really long process. And you might need some professional or spiritual guidance along the way. You might be somebody who needs to forgive someone else, or maybe forgive yourself. Or you might need to forgive God because you're angry with God about something that's happened in your life. 
I walked alongside people who have forgiven some absolutely terrible things that have been done to them and seen the way that their lives have been transformed as they have let that go and allowed God to take that away from them. And today might be the beginning of a process for you where God can bring relief to your life as you let go of that bitterness and that unforgiveness that you might be carrying. The fourth barrier that I just want to look at is lack of self-worth. All of us have a need to feel that we are worthwhile, that we have a purpose for our life. But for many people, that image of self has been damaged in some way and they don't see themselves as God sees them. Our self-worth can be damaged by lots of different things. It can be damaged by faulty theology, being told that we're all worthless worms and that God couldn't possibly love us. It can be damaged by our own sin when we live in a way that goes against God's plan for our lives. We can be riddled with guilt and begin to feel that we're not worthy of God's forgiveness. Our past experience can affect our self-image. We may have experienced failure or criticism. And all of these things can lead to low self-esteem and the expectation that we might fail again. Things like being bullied or criticised or put down by parents or teachers or children or partners or leaders or bosses. All of those things can have an impact on the way we see ourselves. Our relationship with our own parents. Counsellors generally agree that the basis for a person's self-esteem is formed during their early years and inferiority and low self-esteem can sometimes originate early in a person's life. If you've had parents who are overly critical or abusive or who have withheld warmth or affection and praise, if they've set unrealistic goals for you or punished repeatedly or harshly, if you've had parents that have been overprotective or controlled or dominated, all of these things can affect your self-image as you've grown. There are community influences that can affect our self-image. Self if you look at advertising, we're bombarded, aren't we, with images and slogans that tell us that we're not currently good enough. Everything we have at the moment is not good enough. We need more. We need something different. We need this cream or this perfume or this car or whatever, whatever it might be, to make us worthy and make us fit in. Uh, and when we look at the advertising and the way the world tells us we should be, it can make us feel that we're not good enough or we're not as good as others. And then there can be demonic spirits that tell us that we're not worth anything or that we're not of value or that we have no purpose. And these feelings of a lack of self-worth can cause all kinds of problems in our lives and hinder us from reaching our potential in Christ. And just as those feelings can sometimes take a long time to build up, it can take a long while for God to unravel all of that and to bring healing. As I've said to you, I've been a Christian over 40 years and God is still working in my life and, and building me and making me into the person that he, he created me to be. But the first step towards a healthy self-image is to get to know God the Father through Jesus and to find out what God thinks about you. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And once we have a true picture of how God sees us, we can begin to grow in confidence and we can begin to heal 
and change and be the people that we were intended to be. As I said earlier, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you so that you can be forgiven and start a new life with him. He sees the potential in your life. He has plans for your life and he wants you to work in cooperation with him to fulfill the calling that he has on your life. Again, it might be a long road of healing ahead, but today might be the first day, the first step in that healing. And I know that he can do it because he's done it for me. And I know that he can do it for you too. So uh, there are a lot of other things that can cause barriers or hindrances to God's work in our life. And we haven't got time to go into detail on these. But these are just a few other things that the Lord laid on my heart in case any of these might resonate with somebody today. <coughs> the first one, or the next one, is idolatry. And that's anything that can take the place of God in our lives. It might be self, it might be money or possessions, status, career, sports, a relationship with another person, religious rituals, being busy, anything that takes the place of God in our lives that we put first in our lives can stop God's work and of transforming power in our lives. Uh, involvement in the occult or new age practices, uh, you may have dabbled in some things in the past that have had an effect on your spiritual life. It might be something that seemed harmless like superstitions or horoscopes or tarot or new age practices or watching horror films or you might have been involved in some more serious occult practices uh, in Freemasonry or witchcraft or something that, that, uh, that you shouldn't have been involved with that God wants to bring healing and release from. And that can, those things can bring barriers to our relationship with God. Uh, negative thought patterns, uh, having a victim mentality, believing the lies of the enemy through negative words that have been spoken over you, maybe by parents or a spouse or siblings, uh, teachers or partners, assuming negative things about yourself or assuming that you deserve negative things to happen to you in your life. Having those negative thought patterns can be a real barrier. Uh, apathy, uh, having a lack of an appetite for the things of God, uh, where you're not really bothered about God's work in your life. We need to be hungry for the things of God. If we want God to work in our lives, we need to be hungry for change. When I first became a Christian, uh, I was desperate to be different. I didn't want to be like I was. I didn't want to be held back. I wanted to be everything that God wanted me to be. And I sought after God single-heartedly to, to, for him to change me. I, I, I was desperate for him to work in my life. But if we're not hungry for that, uh, then that's a hindrance to God working in our lives because God, God wants us to be hungry for him and really want to have that change in our lives. Uh, negative habits and behaviours, uh, lying or stealing or self-harming, gossiping, laziness, sexual immorality, maybe a bad relationship with food. There are lots of negative behaviour patterns that can cause a, ba a barrier between us and God, and God can set us free from those patterns of behaviour. Uh, addictions, a similar thing really, 
uh, but we can be, people can be addicted to anything, can't they? So uh, maybe addictions to drugs or alcohol, to work, to sex, to gambling, pornography, uh, seeking approval can be an addiction, lying, computer games, spending, eating, smoking, keeping fit, uh, mobile phones, that's a, a real addiction that a lot of people have today, don't they? Uh, any thinking that becomes a habitual, uh, repetitious and something that's difficult or impossible to stop uh, it is an addiction in our lives and some cause more harm than others. Uh, but God wants to bring freedom from any addictions that we have in our lives and set us free from those. And then disappointment. Things don't always turn out in our lives the way that we hoped they would, and sometimes we can feel let down and disappointed by life. Maybe someone we trusted let us down. Maybe our health took a turn for the worse. Maybe someone we loved died too soon. Maybe our marriage broke down when we wanted to save it. There are many people carrying wounds of disappointment and hurt, uh, and that can be a barrier to God's work in our life. And again, None of these things are outside of God. You know, everything is possible uh, with Jesus, and he can set us free from all of these barriers today. And just as the woman at the well finally opened up to Jesus and allowed him to transform her life, uh, as we bring these barriers to him, he can set us free as well. We might unwittingly or deliberately have set up some of these barriers against God's love, but he continues to reach out to us. He, he's holding out his hand to us today to say, Don't, none of those barriers matter. I can deal with all of that. Just come to me uh, and allow me to work in your life. Stop putting up those barriers. Uh, whatever you've done or whatever's been done to you, uh, he has the power to break those chains. The woman in this story was thirsty, but not for water as she thought she was. She was thirsty for unconditional love, for acceptance, for belonging, for transformation in her life. And when people have a deep thirst in their lives, but fight against receiving God's love, often they replace it with other things in their lives, but nothing else can really satisfy that thirst within us. Only Jesus, the living water, can truly satisfy all our needs and bring the healing and the transformation that we crave. And even if we're already Christians, we sometimes can shy away from God's unconditional love and try to live a performance-based life uh, where we try to earn God's love and approval by what we do. But God wants us to just rest in his love, to receive his love, to know how much he loves us, uh, whatever has happened in our past, whatever we've done, whatever's been done to us, he speaks to us with kindness and love and respect. We just need to come to him and receive his gift to us today. I'm going to pray in just a second, but in the next session, we'll look a little bit more about how we can receive God's transforming power in our lives and how our transformed lives can go on to transform others around us. And I'm just going to pray now that the Holy Spirit will just shine his light into any areas of our lives where we've erected barriers against his love and power. <coughs> so we'll just be quiet for a moment and then I'll just pray before I hand back to Alison. So let's just be quiet before God.
Lord Jesus, just as you met that woman at the well and knocked down all the barriers that she put up against you becoming close to her, I pray now, Lord, that you would shine that laser light of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and lives. Lord, if there is anything that we've been putting up as a barrier against you, I pray, Lord, that you would show us what that is, that you would bring healing, release and freedom, that you would enable us even today to begin to walk that path of healing as we lay down those barriers and open up our hearts to you. If there are barriers because of things that we've done, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for those things that have stopped your work in our lives. <coughs> if the barriers are there because of things that others have done to us, I pray, Lord, that even now you would begin your healing, your releasing work in our lives to set us free. Pray, Lord, that we won't go from here today without beginning to deal with those issues that have held us back. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a hunger to want to be more like Jesus, that we wouldn't be satisfied with the negative things in our lives, that we wouldn't be satisfied to continue to carry the weight of the things that hold us down that we wouldn't just have a victim mentality and accept the status quo, but, Lord, that we would be hungry to know more of you in our lives, to allow your power to work in every area of our hearts and lives. Lord, as we come before you now, we just pray that your spirit would continue to speak in our hearts, that you would be doing your amazing work in each person's heart and life. You know the needs of each individual in this room. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to be breaking down those barriers as we receive your love and your healing, your acceptance and your wholeness. So we offer ourselves to you. and just pray you would do your work through the rest of this day and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I feel that God's word to us through Carolyn has been searching around in my life. I had a picture of a searchlight, and then Carolyn mentioned um, the laser light of the Holy Spirit. And maybe inside each of us there's been a searchlight going around, highlighting things that we didn't even know were hidden there. Things that we didn't even know need the touch of God. Some stuff is obvious, yes. We've had it highlighted before, but maybe there's something new. <coughs> something we never realised could be a barrier to us getting closer to God. And I think the thing, one of the things that Carolyn said is really important to hold on as we go into lunchtime. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These, God's searchlight is not to say, naughty, you shouldn't have done that, that was dreadful, punishment's coming. His searchlight is to say, that's hurting you. 
let me remove that so you can get close to me. It's not that he's not close to us, but our barriers just prevent us getting into this amazing, intimate relationship that God the Father and Jesus the Son wants for us to have through his Holy Spirit. So maybe the searchlight has actually highlighted something you didn't even know was a barrier. And as we're about to go into lunch in a short while, we've got a test video testimony of someone that I prayed with before Christmas. Um, and that was exactly that situation. Didn't know the impact until we prayed. Hello, uh, my name is David Ellenworth. Um, I'm married to Leslie and I have uh, two grown-up children, both of their own families. And I've got four glorious grandchildren. Um, I've been a born-again Christian for 35 years. So thank you, David, for coming to agree to um, share your testimony here at our annual healing conference. And I think you have a particular scripture, do you not, uh, which is related to your testimony? Yes, it's uh, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, which I quite like. And it says, uh, we're destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I wonder, do you think you could give us um, a sense of why you chose that particular scripture as part of your testimony today? Uh, yes, um, sometimes we're not aware of the thoughts we hold captive. Uh, and sometimes we are aware of them. Uh, but, but fail to recognize the strength that we have available within us through the Holy Spirit uh, to, to turn the tables and take the thought captive instead of being held captive by the thought. Well, I love that phrase, taking the thought captive rather than being held captive by the thought. We can all identify, I think, with thoughts and memories from the past that keep pulling us back, as it were, to the place of hurt. I wonder uh, if you can recall that time of prayer that we had and what it was that took us into that time of prayer. Yes, uh, at the beginning, I, I had no uh, real desire to have prayer, but they, they, I just felt a prompting of the Holy Spirit to just bring, bring myself forward, just to wait on him and see what happened. And at the start of the prayer time, we invited the Holy Spirit to bring to mind anything that might uh, help us pray more effectively. And I recall the Lord brought up memories of where a relationship had broken down many years ago, because there were a couple of occasions in my Christian walk where relationships with fellow Christians broke down, and that really hurt. Uh, it's always hurtful when fellow Christians, uh, the, the relationship severs. A mixture of a sense of betrayal and unfairness of their actions mixed with guilt and regret of maybe not having handled it correctly myself. Uh, they were complicated situations. I don't wish to rehearse them again. I didn't realize the impact these events and the resulting thoughts and feelings would have on me over the years. They weren't with me all the time, but would rise up occasionally enough to reignite those feelings. I'm really a busy person, and finding it easy to bury those, uh, those uh, those issues without dealing with them. During the prayer session with Alison, the Holy Spirit brought up these memories, and I found myself talking about these issues. Alison suggested 
that first of all, I should stop rehearsing what went on because every time I did it, the feelings were restored and energised. Yeah, I remember that as the situation was brought back to, back to your mind, you were really keen to go over all the details and make sure that I really understood what had happened. Um, and it was obvious that as you were talking about it, the issues were still causing you pain and you were left wondering what you could have done differently. Uh, yes, the, uh, the prompt to stop rehearsing it aloud, that in itself was a powerful message, a blinding flash of the obvious, you might say, but it was like a stone being rolled away. When the Lord brings up painful memories, it's because he wants to heal them. The first step is to give them fully over to him, and that usually involves forgiveness in some way. As I recall, we had a time of forgiveness and release. We did, and you once again, although you had done it before, you once again chose to forgive those who were involved. But also, if I recall, Holy Spirit brought up a particular word, of, and the word was regret. And that took us into a time of um, release and forgiveness for yourself. You chose to forgive yourself and hand over all the regrets and the sense of guilt that you had obviously been carrying uh, underneath for, for uh, uh, quite some time. So after we had this time of prayer and release and giving everything to Jesus, did you sense anything happening? As we sat there with Jesus, I could feel his hand on my shoulder as a renewed journey began. I felt a new freedom to move forward. That's amazing. And so can you see any permanent changes as a result of that particular time of prayer? Because I think it was before Christmas time, wasn't it? That's um, correct, yes. So can you see anything that has changed as a result of releasing those past hurts and those past memories to Jesus and letting him break that hold? Yeah. In the ensuing months, my relationship with God has deepened dramatically. It's strengthened my ability to take captive any thoughts and bring them to the obedience of who Christ says I am. Um, he enables me to forgive freely and to stand against guilt. He builds me up. More than anything, I can now leave the past issues behind. And remembering that God, what God has done for me, move forward into his purpose. He once said to me that he can do more with the time I have left than I could do if I went and lived my whole life again. At 70, that is something. I recently read this in my uh, time with him. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten. Wow, that is such a promise for us all, that when we let the Lord bring transformation, he also brings restoration. Transformation through that power of forgiveness and releasing to Jesus those past hurts and negative thought patterns that have been held, holding us captive, and that hold is broken. We are transformed by the power of forgiveness and the renewing of our minds. Yes, and we're always seeking a deeper relationship with Jesus. And there are times when he gives us a booster, sometimes through other people. And this was one of those special times of breakthrough, which had a long-lasting effect, for which I'm very grateful and give God all the glory. Giving God all the glory. And I thank you, David, for sharing your testimony with us today. Thank you. Amen.